think I was about four and a half. The truck came out and they used to look for all of us little kids, you know, they called us the half-cast kids. And they used to come out to the community to see us there. And our mums used to hide us. But this particular day, this truck comes in and I'm standing on the veranda of the cattle station homestead because my mother worked there and watched this truck come in and the fella jumps out all in khaki, which the Native Affairs officers used to always be in khaki clothes. And he said to me, you want to go for a ride? And I said, yes, thinking, oh, we were just going for a ride around the community. My mum was in the kitchen cooking for the homestead, but she not only did cooking, she also worked mustering and that with her husband. And so I had an Aboriginal father out there that I called my dad, and uh, that was mum's husband. And she sort of came running out when she saw me get on the truck. But she, I think, was under the impression too I was just going around the community for a ride. And so she didn't say anything. Then all of a sudden the truck started to take off out of the cattle station, you know, altogether. And I started to cry then because I realised that mum was back there and here I was on this truck. And I'm thinking to myself, I can't, I can't, I must have blanked it all out because I can't even recall anybody else being with that Mr. Ryan that picked me up. And I thought to myself... Where are we going? Because nobody said anything to me. I just thought I was going for a ride around the community. Anyway, they, we finally got to Marinboy Police Station and that's where they had to leave me while they were waiting for the other children to arrive because there were other kids coming from Nutwood Downs, from Tendangle, which is a community just not far from Minoru, and and from Bamuli, they used to call it, but it was it's now Barunga. And so I waited there and it was quite scary because mm. I don't even recall seeing the policeman and his wife, but they must have been there. And when I look at the photos now of the police station in that time, it was like a big tin shed. So I'm not sure where I slept or what I did because I think somehow because of the trauma, I must have blocked it all out until all the other children came. They came two days later and then we all were put into the truck again and sent to Darwin. So it was a scary part of my life because now I realised my mother wasn't there anymore and I was going to be by myself, you know, and it was quite a scary experience. But mum only had me at that time. My brother came later on in life. She would have been in her early 20s when I was born and I was born on the cattle station. I didn't, there was no hospital thing. I had a traditional uh, birthing, or my grandmother's actually. Yeah. It was their traditional birthing system. So I was born that way on the banks of the Minoru River. And um, mum was there, you know, when I was her first born. And um, I was quite excited now when I talk about it, that my I was actually born in the traditional system which not many children had that, you know. And I was so pleased that I was born that way mm. because my grandmother was there and my grandmother was there right until I left the station. 
My mother spoke Nalakan and Rumbaranga languages, but she also knew all the languages of Arnhem Land. So she had nine dialects that she spoke, but very little English. She hardly spoke any English at all. I missed out on my language because at that time I was speaking the language. And when I left there and when my cousins arrived to come with me, we were all talking language. We weren't talking English at all. We weren't speaking English at all. We were speaking language. And now I've I've forgotten all of that. And when I saw my mother again when I was 20 and she was talking language, I could understand her, but I couldn't speak back to her. And that was the saddest part of it because I really wanted to learn my language, you know. I wanted to be able to speak it. My eldest daughter speaks it because she spent a lot of time back at Barunga and uh, Bullman, where my mother finally lived after they left Monaroo Station. They went to Bullman. They put us in Reda Dixon home. They called us all half-caste kids. And we could see all these other little kids and I was looking at them all, but because they didn't, we couldn't speak English to them, we were still speaking language. Lorraine, myself, Shirley, Tani, Rita, and we were still talking language. And we were talking to each other in language and saying, well, who are all these other kids, you know? And we didn't know them because they had come from all around the Territory. And they weren't from our country. And we saw the, there was, next to Reda Dixon, there was the Bagot community. And we could see all the countrymen in that yard. And we were trying to climb under the fence to go to them. Because that was more familiar to us than all these little half-caste children that we were supposed to be gathering together with, you know. Mm. And um, we tried to get under the fence because we saw them there and, um, one of the older boys from Reda Dixon came and told us, you're not allowed to go under there. You're not allowed to go over there. You know, something that we weren't allowed to do. Myself and my other two little cousins were crying all the time. Lorraine was about seven and she was the eldest of our, the group and she kept talking to us in language and trying to console us and trying to keep us quiet but we just continually cried all the time. And then we tried to run away from Rita Dixon and we ended up down the back of where Bagot is now, down back where the Racecourse Creek is. And we'd run away down there. But we were, And when the Native Affairs man found us down there, he said, where you kids think you're going? And my cousin responded, home. That's all she said, home, mummy. She said, home and mummy. She could speak a little bit of English, but we couldn't. We never spoke English at all. And um, she said, um, we're going home, mummy. That's all she said. And the bloke said, well, you're going the wrong way. If you wanted to go back to Catherine, you have to go that way. And <laughs> we, didn't, we didn't know. So they took us back to the Reda Dixon and we sat there for another two days. And then they put on us on a boat and sent us to Croker Island. We'd never been on the sea because we're inland people, we, we belong to Arnhem Land inland, not the coastal Arnhem Land, inland. And we uh, was quite frightened because we were all little people sitting on this big boat going out to Croker Island. And then when we got there, it was night time and the dinghies came out to take us off the boat and we saw these women with like turbans on their head because they'd had their heads shaved and we didn't know that, but we started screaming and we're saying devil, devil, which we, we understood what devil, devil was, <laughs> you know, and we were crying and screaming and they were trying to pick us up out of the boats and put us, 
take us to shore. And when we finally got there, then they took us up to the cottages and they were going to try and split us up. But one of the sisters who was Miss Somerville, she was the woman that took them from Croker to Odford in Sydney in the wartime. She said, oh, no, just leave them here for the night. And we stayed at her cottage for the night. And then the next day they decided to split us up. And that was really terrifying because mm. Lorraine was seven, going on eight, and she was the only communication we had with, on the mission. We didn't know anybody else. And we were crying because we knew that we were going to be split up from her. So they put her in an older girl's cottage and they put the little ones, the two-year-olds, into the baby's cottage, which was Somerset, where Miss Somerville was. And then they said, well, Eileen, you'll have to go and stay over at that other cottage. And that was really frightening because I didn't know anybody. Mm. And they they split us up. And then they started to... We were talking language all the time and they forbade us to talk language. We weren't allowed to speak it at all. And that's something that I really miss because... You know, taking that away from us was terrible. And then there was a, the Iwaja people lived down on the beach side and we used to hear their, um, the ceremonies. They used to have clapsticks and didgeridoos going and we'd try and run away to them. But they told us we weren't allowed to even go there either. We weren't allowed to mix with the Iwaja people. Yet that was their island. That's where they lived. And they said, no, you're not allowed to go down to their camp. But we used to still run away and sneak down there because old Mick and Timothy and his wives used to cook up dugong and turtles and all of that for us. And so we started to learn how to eat and uh, all the bush foods that they had there because we used to get crabs and oysters and all sorts of things. It was a lovely island. But we didn't have our mothers and we didn't have our people with us, you know. And we grew up with about 90 other children from all over the territory. At first, I was a very sad little person. I used to cry, cry all the time because I wanted to, I wanted my mother and my people. And Lorraine, we'd sneak to her place so that we could see her and then we'd sit around the corner talking language. <laughs> we weren't allowed to, but we'd sit there and talk language to each other. You know, that was the way we conversed. And um, when she she got old, even to this day, she still was like our surrogate mother, like our mother. Because And then when I said to mum, when I finally met mum, and I said, how come you let Lorraine come with us? Because she was there to look after you. So even though the Aboriginal people had no rights in what was going to happen to us, they were happy that she finally came with us because mm. that was the person that was going to look after us, keep the language going. She used to tell us who our mothers were, which country we came from, all that sort of thing. So that was sort of always kept in, in our minds because that's what she did and that was Lorraine's role and responsibilities. But she was only seven years old, you know. 